I ask the Lord that I might grow. Have you asked that of the Lord lately? Even though it's painful sometimes? Even though, as the song said, it's uh, difficult, it hurts. We, we want to ask the Lord why He's bringing us through what He's bringing us through. Well, that really is the topic of the sermon today, the message today on the believer's personal holiness. Holiness. We often speak of God's holiness, and that's a sermon worthy of itself. But today we're looking at the holiness God calls us to. I ask you to turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. Just to read a portion of this first chapter of Second Peter to orient us on this idea of, of, of God's call for us to be holy. We are called to be holy. We are called to be like God. We're called to be like Christ. And we have to ask Him to help us grow. And we have to understand, first of all, what is holiness? So today's message really is a theology, a biblical theology of, of holiness. We're going to look at different aspects of holiness, of, of sanctification. And Peter describes it here in 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 4. And look how he describes holiness. For, for by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped corruption. Having escaped that corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. Peter's describing holiness. He's describing what it looks like. He's describing uh, what it feels like, what we should be doing as we practice holiness. Holiness is the most forgotten doctrine, I think, in the modern church. There was a time in America where we were more likely to land in a legalistic church that, that overemphasized the commands and added commands in Scripture and put their own thoughts on that. But today, it's completely the opposite. Neither is good, neither legalism nor ignoring God's commands, antinomianism. Neither is good, but today you're more likely to end up in a church that never talks about true biblical commands, true biblical holiness. I spent nine years going from place to place as we moved, not even hearing of sanctification and holiness. I remember the first time we heard it in a, in a church when we moved to Kerrville, and I thought, I've never heard this word sanctification. I've never heard this idea. That's over my head. I'm not going back there. Of course, God brought us back there six months later, but holiness is ignored so much. Uh, it's just not taught on. Uh, justification by faith is often taught on, and thank the Lord for that. It is what was recovered at the Reformation, that we're justified by faith alone and Christ alone. But now that we're justified, what is expected of us? What are we called to do? That's ignored. 
such an important topic that books have been written in the last few years. One of those is Kevin DeYoung's book, The Hole in Our Holiness. And you might wonder, well, what is the hole in our holiness? And he says that we really don't care too much about holiness anymore. That's the big hole that's in our holiness. We just don't care. J.I. Packer was asked, why has it been lost? And he writes on this, the, the great theologian, uh, Puritan scholar, J.I. Packer. He says, first of all, we don't hear about holiness in preaching or in Christian books anymore. Secondly, we do not insist upon holiness in our church leaders. And thirdly, he says, we don't touch upon the need for personal holiness when we do evangelism, when we go and tell people the gospel. We don't touch on what it means to live as a disciple of Christ. But it's a vital doctrine. A Christian needs to know about holiness from the very beginning. Not only God's holiness, but what God expects of us. It's an essential doctrine. It's part of the Great Commission. Do you remember when Christ said, go into all the world, make disciples, baptize them in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? And what was that last part of the Great Commission? He said, teach them to observe all that I commanded you. And not to earn your way into heaven, but to live as a Christ follower on this earth. Observe all, he said, teach them to observe all that I commanded you. All that he told the apostles. What did he command? Well, he commanded many things, but the result of following Jesus' commands is greater holiness, greater sanctification. Charles Spurgeon said it like this. He said, sanctification must not be forgotten or overlaid by justification. I mean, this was the great preacher Charles Spurgeon who preached justification by faith alone almost every week. And he said, sanctification must not be forgotten or overlaid by justification. He says, we must teach plainly that the faith which saves the soul is not a dead faith, but a faith which operates with a purifying effect upon our entire nature. And it produces in us fruits of righteousness to the praise and glory of God. So that's what we're after today. We want to look at Scripture and consider what it teaches about a believer's personal holiness, your personal holiness, my personal holiness, what's expected of us, how are we to think about these things biblically, and how are we to go about practicing righteousness, fruits of righteousness, as the Bible calls it. So as we look at this, I want you to consider your own heart. Consider where you stand with the Lord. If you're saved in Christ... Are you living a holy life? And more importantly, even than that, is are you growing in your holiness? Or has that been kind of a, a time period of a flat line? You haven't grown in some time. Or maybe you're concerned because you've never grown as a Christian. You, you say, I'm saved, I'm justified, but I've never experienced growth at all. And that should concern you. That should really concern you. But let's look at what the Scripture says on this. And I pray that the Spirit would impress upon your heart a desire to grow in Holiness, in Christ's likeness. First of all, let's look at the call to holiness. The call to holiness. The, the word itself means to, to be sanctified, or it means to be set apart. God is completely holy. He's completely set apart from His creation. He has, he has no darkness in Him, no sin in Him, no sinful desires in Him. And He calls us to be holy. And holy means to be set apart. Set apart from the world, in our case. Other names for that are godliness. An old term that was used is piety. Sanctification is the theological term. And we could just say to be godly. We want to be godly as Christians. That's the call that God has given us. We don't get to 
get our view from the world on holiness, that would be silly. That would be bad for us. And the world does teach quite a bit on what it means to be a Christian. In fact, you'll hear the world today telling you that's not very Christian. You don't support their sin. That's not very Christ-like. He loved everyone. Was that really what Christ said? That he would condone those types of sin? Did he say believers could just go and live however they wanted and it didn't matter? Now we get our view of holiness from the Bible. We get our view of sanctification from Scripture. God's perfectly holy. We're called to be like him. He is light and in him there's no darkness at all. He's completely holy. He's completely set apart. And for the Christian, the call to be set apart means that we're to be separated from sin and separated from the world. Not physically, we cannot separate ourselves from the world. But in the way that they live, we are to live differently because God has called us to live differently. Scripture tells us to live differently. Let's look at the main passage on this calling to holiness. 1 Peter, go back if you're still in 2 Peter to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 14. He's telling us to, verse 13, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And here's how you do it. As obedient children. We're like children. We we are Christ's children. We are God's children in Christ. We're to be obedient. And we're not to be conformed to former lusts, which were yours in your ignorance. When we were unbelievers, we were ignorant. We were following our own desires. We were trapped in our slavery to sin. We didn't know. Like, like young children, we just didn't know. And then as we got older, we did know, but didn't care. Verse 15. But like the Holy One who called you, who calls us God, God the Father specifically puts a divine call upon our heart. And he's writing to Christians and he says, like the Holy One, God the Father who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Not just when you come to church. Not just when you're in front of your children. Not just when you're in front of others. But all your behavior. Because it is written, now he quotes from the Old Testament, you shall be holy for I am holy. That comes from Leviticus, the book on holiness. The book given to Israel on holiness. I mean, Leviticus just could be returned the book of the Bible on holiness. That doesn't make a lot of sense to us because it's given to Israel in the priestly covenant and the, and the Mosaic covenant. But the main point of Leviticus is you shall be holy for I am holy. And now Peter brings that into the Gentile world and says, as Christians, as Gentiles saved by Christ, the same thing applies to you. Just like it applied to Israel, it also applies to you. Be like God who is holy. You shall be. He's not asking if we want to be. He's not saying it's a good idea. He's saying you shall be holy as my people, for I am holy. You shall be holy, for I am holy. We should be set apart for God. We should be dedicated fully to God, so much so that we're willing to do battle with our sin, that we're willing to separate from the lusts of our flesh. This is the call to holiness. We see it throughout Scripture. But Peter's just bringing it back to his readers and saying, look, you need to be holy. You must be. It's not, a, it's not a tertiary doctrine. It's not a secondary doctrine. It's a primary doctrine. It's connected to the gospel, as we'll see. The way that God makes us holy is called, as I said, sanctification. So it's a theological word for the process of being made holy. And to understand this, you need to realize in the New Testament, there's two types of sanctification mentioned. 
There's two types. One's positional. Your position. Who you are in Christ. Who you are the minute, the second, the instant you're saved. That's positional sanctification. It's, it's being declared holy based on our faith in Christ. Just like you're justified instantly when you have faith in Christ. You're declared holy by God the instant you have faith in Christ. You're not really holy. You're not really holy. I'm not really holy right now. Not perfectly holy like God calls us to be. But we're declared that in Christ the moment we're saved. And so you see in Scripture over and over saying that you were sanctified, that you, you have been sanctified. An example verse is 1 Corinthians 6.11. He lists all these sins and he says, Such were some of you. But you were watched. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. So throughout the New Testament, you see this idea that we're holy ones already. But that's not what we're looking at today. That's positional sanctification, a a great doctrine. But you can't think from that, as some people do today, you can't think from that doctrine that we are already there, that we've already arrived, that there's nothing left to do to grow in, in Christ. So we're looking now at the other type mentioned in the Bible, which is called progressive sanctification. One is positional. The position you're in the moment you're saved and, and throughout your time upon this earth. Now, when God takes us to heaven as believers, we'll be perfectly holy then. But the moment we're saved, we're declared that. That's positional. But he also expects us to grow into what we're declared. That's progressive. You're to make progress. You're to grow in the Lord. Progressive sanctification is the continuing work of God in a believer where he's made more holy. We could say more Christ-like throughout his Christian life. We're to be more like Christ. We're to be conformed into the image of Christ. We are to grow into the thing that God has already worked in our heart. And as we grow in holiness, we exhibit more and more fruit of righteousness. We begin to look more and more like Christ. It's a process of being made more like Christ. It's not to earn our salvation. That's already been done by Christ. And it's already applied to us in justification. But we are to grow throughout our time. Even the thief on the cross, he lived for a few seconds or minutes after he was saved. And he proclaims quite a bit in his little saying. There's a lot of theology that thief on the cross was saying and confessing to everyone that was there. Sanctification, though, is is a process. And it's a process that we're growing in because of what God has done for us. And he's showing us how to walk. he's, He's giving us a light unto the path that we're to walk in. I heard it described in seminary once. I think this is a great illustration that when we're first saved, you know, we are under the ground. We are dead. We're in a big mud pit. And Christ reaches in and he, he pulls us out. Now we're out of the mud pit, but we're still covered in mud. And in the distance, we see a light. And we begin to walk towards the light as we're walking in Christ. And the closer we get, the more we see that we still have mud. And we began to see the big spots of mud. We began to work on those through the, the power of God in this illustration. But we began to get closer and closer and see more and more. And the brighter this light gets, the more mud we see. And the more we began to knock it off and clean it off. So that eventually when we're there at the light, I wanted to use the illustration of when we're there with God someday, we're completely clean. All of it's been cleansed. All of it's been removed. 
Sanctification involves living a holy life, completely committed to God. It's being separated from all sin in the world and in us. It's not justification, though. It's not justification. See, the Roman Catholics have confused this idea, and they put the two things together. Justification and sanctification are intertwined, almost equal in their theology, so that your justification comes and goes based on your sanctification. One day you're not feeling very sanctified and you, and you sin, then, then you've lost your justification, they would teach. And you've got to come back to the church and do the sacraments and penance and all the things that Frank was talking about this morning. The Bible doesn't, doesn't confuse those. Man confuses those and develops a legalistic system to try to earn God's grace, but the Bible doesn't confuse those. Justification, when you turn away from your sin and turn to Christ, that's justification. Sanctification is growing in Christ. Justification is being declared righteous before God because of Christ. Both of those are inseparable. It's inseparable. You cannot remove sanctification from justification. In fact, 1 Corinthians says they're connected in Christ, that he is our justification, that he is our sanctification. You can't say I'm justified, but I'm never going to be sanctified. It's not possible. I just read to you from 2 Peter, and he says, by this, you'll gain entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Why? Is he saying you can earn your way in? No. He's saying live out your calling. Live it out. That every true believer will live it out, and they'll be there with Christ. Justification is the payment of our sins and a removal of our guilt by the righteousness of Christ. It's what he's done for us. Sanctification, though, is ongoing removal of the pollution in a believer's life. It's the work that Christ does in us. Justification, Christ has done something for us. Sanctification, Christ is doing something in us. You see the difference? Justification is for us. Sanctification, in us. Justification removes the penalty of sin, whereas sanctification frees us from sin's power. Justification, you've been justified, you'll no longer suffer eternity in hell. Sanctification removes sin's power from us. We, we continue to throw off more and more of the mud, more and more of the weight that's hindering us in the Christian life. Justification is a one-time event. It only happens once. The moment you're saved. The moment you're justified. The moment you're united with Christ. Sanctification, though, progressive sanctification, happens throughout your life. Throughout your life. And it's God's blessing for us. I mean, who wants to be justified and know what Christ has done for them and then go and live like the world. Why, why would you want to do that? Christ has died for your sin, and you're going right back into it? I'm thankful that God has called us to be holy. A.W. Tozer said when God declares a man righteous, he instantly sets about to make him righteous. He declares us righteous in Christ, and then he sets about to make us more and more righteous like Christ. He's already given it to us of his grace, and it's his grace that he continues to work it out in us. I'm thankful that he does. It's because of his love for his people that he wants them to be more holy, that he wants them to be like him. The Puritan Gurnall, his last name is Gurnall, he wrote a, a big, huge work on the armor of God. He says that God would not rub so hard if it were not to fetch out the dirt that is ingrained in our natures. We still got some dirt on us, and God is rubbing that out. God loves purity. 
he says, so well that he'd rather see a hole than a spot in his child's garments. Better to rub on us hard and get that dirt off than for God just to see how dirty we're walking through this life as. So we looked at the call to holiness. God has called us to be holy. That's where our desire should come from. We want to be holy because God is holy. But let's look at how it works, the work of holiness. How exactly does it happen? I mean, it's great to know that we're called that. We're called to be that way. We're, we're called to be like Christ. But, but how does it work out in our lives? Are we doing it all? Is God doing it all? Do we sit back and see what happens? How does it work? Now, as we're talking about progressive holiness, progressive ongoing sanctification, believers, remember, they're, they're, they're seen as holy in Christ from the moment they're saved, but they continue to have sin in their life. Everyone continues to have sin in their life as believers. You cannot think that you're perfect. That, that's actually a sin. First John, verse 8. First John 1, 8 and 1, 10. You are sinning if you say, I have no sin. If you say, I'm, I'm perfect already. And people do that today. You know, even though David trusted in the Lord, he still sinned. Psalm 32. Even though David trusted in the Lord, he still sinned. He committed adultery. He had a man killed. But he says he trusted in the Lord. And we see his repentance from that. But he still sinned. Jesus told his disciples, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. Positionally, you're completely clean. But you need to wash your feet regularly. You need to wash your feet regularly. You're, you're still living on the earth. You're still walking on the earth. You're still being around sinners. You're still taking in sinful thoughts and ideas and you're still acting on those. There's still some indwelling sin. Your heart is not hardened against God anymore. But there's still some sin in there. And he says you need that continual washing, that continual cleansing. This saying that he said to the disciples meant that they were already righteous, but they they needed to have a continual confession and cleansing of God. First John 1 John 1.9, you need to bring your sins to God and confess them and ask that he would cleanse you from your daily sin. And it, it's done by God, though. Sanctification is done by God through us. That's key. It's done by God through us. John 17.17, 17, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them. Make them holy. How? In truth. So Jesus, the Son, is asking the Father to do it. Lord, please, Father, please sanctify my followers. Make them holy. How? In the truth. Do it by giving them truth. And what is truth? Your word is truth. So we're going to see that the word is a key component of growing in holiness. The word of God. That's what Jesus prays to his Father in that high priestly prayer. So it's done by God. And, and Paul prays that the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. May the God of peace sanctify you throughout your life all the way till the end when you'll be entirely and completely sanctified. That's what Paul prays. So we see Jesus praying this. We see Paul again in 2 Corinthians. He spoke of sanctification being done by the Spirit. And he wrote, we all are being transformed. That's another great word for sanctification. Transformed. You're being transformed. You put off the old and you put on the new, but you have to keep on doing that in sanctification. So he says, we're all being transformed. Being is passive. God's doing it. God's transforming us into the same image from glory to glory. It's just as from the Lord, the Spirit. 
2 Corinthians 3.18. So it's done by God, but it's done through us. God has the power. Who can sanctify themselves? Can you sanctify yourself without God doing anything? You've been justified. You have Christ in you. You have the Spirit in you. But you can't do it by yourself. You can't do anything at all without God's power. So God has to do it in us. God has to justify us. God has to sanctify us. But there are ways that we can block that. There are ways that we can resist that. There are ways that we can run from God like Jonah and completely backslide into sin. So we do play a role. We do play a part. We do cooperate. Not in the sense that we are somehow adding to what God is doing. No, but in the sense that we are not resisting God. That we're being filled with the Spirit. When Paul says in Ephesians 5, to be filled with the Spirit. That means get out of the way. Not not, not to fall on the floor and flop around and speak in tongues. But to do what God tells you. To obey the Word. to, To read Scripture. To pray. To do the things that we'll look at in a moment. It's a Trinitarian work as well. God is renewing us in the image of God. God, uh, the, the Son is conforming us to His image, and we're submitting to the Holy Spirit. You see, while God is working in us, we are submitting to the work He's doing. We're not standing in His way. We're not getting in His way. So let's look at our role. Let's just do a Bible study on our role in sanctification, because this is where people forget. This is where people deny, in many cases, the truth that we have to pursue holiness, that there's a need for us uh, to continue to grow. You know how many times the apostles exhort us to grow? It really can't be counted because there's so many different ways they do it. But just think about it. From, the, from, from Matthew to Revelation, how many times do the apostles and Jesus exhort us to grow? They just exhort us to stop doing this and do this. Let's look at some of those. Starting in Romans. Go to Romans 6. Romans chapter 6 is the chapter in Romans on sanctification. He's already talked about justification in chapters 4 and 5. He's given the example of Abraham. And he said that we're justified by faith alone. And so now the question comes up, just like it does today. It did in Paul's day. Okay, now that we're justified, I guess it doesn't matter if we sin. And so look at, look at Romans 6.1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? Well, God is graceful. We need to be graceful, right? I mean, He saved us. He's given us grace. Let's just continue in sin. And hey, we're actually helping God out because He can give us more grace every time we sin. I mean, we're helping God out to display more grace every time we sin. What does He say in verse 2? May it never be. That's strong. That's stronger in the Greek even than the the English. It's not ever possible. It couldn't be possible. May it never happen. Don't ever think like that. That's when you raise your voice at your children and get the finger right in their face. That's what he's doing here. May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who who have been baptized into Christ, Jesus, have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we've been buried with him through baptism into death. So that as Christ was raised from the dead, to the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. One of the things I remind people when they're getting baptized, I even summarize this passage as I'm doing the baptisms. You stood up, you you testified, you confessed Christ. And he's saying, don't you remember what that was about? Don't you remember what you were saying and doing there? 
You're, you're symbolizing that you've died with Christ and you've been raised again with him. Don't go back to that dead stuff. Don't go back to the old self that's dead now, but live in newness of life. So he begins to address this idea that we're to live for Christ, we're to live in holiness. Jump down to verse 11. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin. You're dead to sin. You're not alive to sin, but you're alive to God in Jesus Christ. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Don't let it rule over you. Don't let it control you so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. Don't keep acting out sin with your life, with your body, with the things you do. But present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. You see, he's commanding his followers to do this. He's telling the Romans, as Christ followers, we have to present ourselves to God. We have to do certain things that that drive us to Christ and not do these things over here that drive us away from Christ and into sin. Verse 14, for sin shall not be master over you, for you're not under law, but under grace. You're under grace. You're not under the Mosaic law. You're not trying to earn your way by law. You're under grace. You have the ability under grace to fight off sin. You have the ability under grace. You're not to be mastered by sin. Look at verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? May it never be. There he goes again. You know, just, you think, well, I don't have to worry about the law of God. I'm under grace. And he says, may it never be. It's not, it's not true either. Don't go down that road. And he goes on. Let's skip down to verse 19 to get a summary of that. I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness. So before you were saved, before you were justified, you just kept on disobeying God and sinning. And that drove you to further disobey God and sin. So now present yourselves, though, as Christians, as believers, as followers of Jesus. Now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. Every time you present yourself as a slave of righteousness, as a slave of Christ, you're being sanctified. You're being made more holy. You have to do that. God is giving you the power. He is working in you. But you have to do certain things. Or it's going to be a really slow process. And you'll be in sin for resisting God's sanctification process. Let's go to Romans 12, verse 1. Often a well-known passage amongst Christians. Therefore I urge you, I strongly encourage, command you, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, by the, by the mercy that God has shown you, you can do this. Present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. You present your bodies. It's by God's mercy, but you do it. Acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. How do I worship God? Well, he says one of the main ways is to live a holy life. To present yourself as a living sacrifice throughout your life, in other words. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is. What is the will of God? That which is good and acceptable and perfect. What's the will of God for you? That you would be sanctified, that you would be holy, that you'd be growing in Christ's likeness. Philippians, go forward to Philippians chapter 2. This great passage that shows us what God's doing and what we're doing. 
And it's not equal. Obviously, God is the one doing it. But we're expected to do something with what God has given us. Philippians 2, 12. So then, my beloved, just as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work it out. Some people look at this and they say, there it is. Work, work for your salvation. Is that what it says? It doesn't say that in English. It doesn't say that in the original Greek. Work out your salvation. Wow, that's a different preposition there, isn't it? Don't work for it. Work it out. And as you're working it out, as you're growing in the salvation that God has given you, do it with fear and trembling. Grow in holiness. Fear the sin in your life. Fear what that means when you sin against God who's already paid the price for you. Tremble over that. And in verse 13, for, because in other words, how do you do that? How is that even possible? For it is God who is at work in you. I thought it was us. No, it's actually God in you. But you're to act upon what God has given. It is God in you, both to will That means your desire. You would never desire to be holy if it wasn't God working in you. You would just go back to your old sinful life, but God is working in you. And he changes your will, and he continues to work for his good pleasure. God's changing your desires, and he's having you do the things that he wants you to do. And so what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to work it out. He's changed your heart. He's given you abilities to serve him, to love him, to worship him. And to live a holy life. Do it. Uh, Work it out. He's exhorting here believers to to work to a higher level of sanctification because you've already been saved. You've already been justified. You're not going to hell. But live for God. Fear Him. Tremble before Him because of your sin. Now you understand what that means. You couldn't understand that as a believer. You didn't fear God. I'm sorry, as an unbeliever. You You didn't fear God. You didn't care about God, really. Every once in a while, you might have had a thought, but now as a believer, you do care about God. You do care about pleasing Him. I mean, look at how much is in the writings of Paul and Peter and James. I mean, it's just constant exhortation. Now that you've been justified, progressively be sanctified. Pursue sanctification. Colossians 3, 1 through 10. Long passage describing this. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ... If you're a Christian, in other words, you'll do these things. We should expect to see some of these things. We should expect to see that you're growing in these things as a Christian. If you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above. For Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above. Not on the things that are on the earth. Set your mind on God and on His holiness. And on what He's told us to do. Don't set your mind on this here and now with living like the world and listening to the lust of the world, the pride of life. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Sometimes people say, well, holiness isn't really the gospel. It's not part of the gospel. It's, it's sometime later on in the Christian life. But you see how they keep tying it together? What's the gospel? The good news that Christ has died for us and that our sins can be forgiven in him. And they just keep on saying, live for Christ because he's died for you. Over and over, live for Christ. He's died for you. When Christ, verse 4, when Christ who is our life is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Every believer is expected to grow and you'll be with Christ when you grow as he's told us. 
Verse 5, therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to all of these sins that you used to do. Immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. They're all going to suffer eternity in hell, and you want to go back and do some of that? No, it can't be. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience, and in them you also once walked. When you were living in them, So in other words, you used to live in them. You're not living in them anymore, but make sure you don't stumble back in. Make sure you don't dip back into that old life. But now, verse 8, you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. That's God. You see that? Being renewed. Passive. You're being renewed. You're being changed. You're being transformed. But then he tells us, put that on. Put the new self on. It's being renewed, but put it on. God's doing it, but make sure that you're doing what God tells you to do and not resisting. First Thessalonians 4. I'll just read it to you. It's very clear. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. People have been saved just from that one verse because they understood that they were sinners and they they never could attain sanctification without Christ. So they read that and were converted. For this is the will of God. What does God want us to do? What does God want me to do with my life? Well, there it is. Your sanctification. And he goes on to be very specific in the case of the Thessalonians that you abstain from sexual immorality. That you abstain from it. Run from it. Get away from it. Don't even touch it. That's the will of God for your life. And then here's one more, Hebrews 12, 14. Hebrews 12, 14. Pursue peace with all men and pursue the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. What does it mean to pursue? Just looking at the second part of the verse here. What does it mean to pursue sanctification? Run after it. Strive for it. Seek for it. Go full speed towards sanctification. Don't slow down. Don't hinder yourself. Don't don't encumber yourself like it talks about in Hebrews 12. Letting sins weigh you down. Letting things distract you. Go pursue sanctification. Why? Because without it, you're not going to see the Lord. Does he mean people can lose their salvation? No, he doesn't mean that. He doesn't mean that. The Bible is clear. You can't lose what Christ has actually already done for you. He's saying... If you're not pursuing it, if you have no care for it at all, you won't see the Lord. Not that you lost it, but you never had it. You never had it. You won't see the Lord if you do not care ever about sanctification. And you're just going on with your own life, calling yourself a Christian. He says, it's a a way to wake up. The whole book of Hebrews is a wake-up call, right? It's a wake-up call to people who want to turn away from Christ. And he gets to this near the end here in Hebrews 12, and he says, you better pursue sanctification. Because no one's going to see it if they don't. Then no one's going to see the Lord. That's why it's vital. That's why it's important. That's why it's about discipleship. It's about telling others this truth. Oftentimes we want people to come to Christ, but we don't want to tell them what's expected of them when they're a Christian. It might scare them away. But that's not what Jesus did. Not what the apostles did. They actually talked about holiness sometimes before they even talked about justification. So people would realize, I'm not perfect. It would wake them up. You remember what Jesus says? Be perfect, like my Father in heaven is perfect. He's talking to unbelievers when he says that. 
Why would he say that? They can't be perfect because he wants them to wake up and realize they're not holy. That they don't understand holiness until they've actually gotten Christ. So this progressive sanctification, it will eventually, it's going to be completed when you die, when you go to, to be with Christ or he returns to get you. And that's permanent sanctification. But I need to spend a moment talking about the wrong views on this because they're everywhere. They're in every church in our area. Every one of these wrong views are out there on sanctification. And while you can be justified and still go to these places and hear this stuff and believe it, it makes for a very hard Christian life. It makes for a very legalistic Christian life or one where you just stumble in sin forever and ever and no one corrects you and no one disciplines you. And the whole church just lets you go into your sin without any correction, which isn't, which isn't loving. A few wrong views. The Wesleyan view or the perfectionist view. It's named after the founder of Methodism, John Wesley. And he taught that a believer could be converted as a work of grace, but not grow in sanctification. Until some later point, when, when God brought a crisis in your life and you called out to him, then suddenly you would start growing. So it's called perfectionism. Because at that point, you can actually be perfect. You can be perfect for a time. And you fall back down into sin. And then you're perfect again. And so when the believer falls flat again in his spiritual life, God lifts him back up and he can live a perfect life. If he wanted to, if he tried hard enough, he could actually be perfect. Now that, that damages your walk with Christ because what are you going to do? You're going to beat yourself up every day because every day you sin. I mean, some of you might go a few days, right? But at some point you're going to sin. And you're going to say, well, I'm not perfect. You know, does God even love me? And so it goes along with this that they believe you can lose your salvation as well. You know what Paul said? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. We know that verse, but what else does he say? Among who I am foremost of all. He doesn't say I was. Christ came into the world to save sinners, and I was the foremost of all sinners. I am. He still considers himself a great sinner. I am, present tense. So Paul himself didn't think that he could be perfect in this life. And if anybody's going to do it after Jesus, it would be Paul, right? And Paul didn't live. He said, I press on toward the upward goal. I, I, I keep striving for Christ. There's a story about Charles Spurgeon. You can't be confirmed if it's true or not, but it makes a good story and it sounds like Spurgeon. Somebody came to his church and just like today in his day, people would often argue with his theology. And they said, uh, they came up to him afterwards and said, I don't like this preaching on sanctification, on stumbling and getting back up and pursuing Christ. He said, I believe, like Wesley, you can live a perfect life. And so Spurgeon had him over for lunch or dinner, and he's listening to his arguments on perfectionism, and he picks up a glass of water and throws it in the man's face. And the man gets angry and starts shouting and saying words that are sinful. And Spurgeon replied, Oh, you see? The old man within you is not dead. He simply fainted and could be revived with a glass of water. <laughs> Everyone sins as a Christian. That's not the point. Uh, the point is we've been forgiven, like the bumper sticker says, but they need to add another line under the bumper sticker. We're not happy with our sin, right? We're not perfect. We've been forgiven, but we're still pursuing holiness. We're still unhappy about indwelling sin. So, Perfectionism, Wesleyanism, uh, it's a bad view. And in 1 John, again, chapter 1, if we say we have no sin, the truth is not in us. 
You can't go through life saying that. Well, after that, many other views, many other bad views came along. Uh, one was let go and let God, or a higher life, or victorious living. And they said that there's a carnal Christian, a person who's been converted, but they're not spiritual yet. And they said what you need is crisis, a, a strong conviction of your sin, and you're crying out to God. And then at that point, you just give everything. You give everything to God. Then you're finally holy. You're finally growing. It's passive, in other words. You don't do anything. You don't strive. That's a bad word in this view. Keswick theology. There's churches in, in Bernie that teach victorious living. They don't have a, a call to Christ. They'll have a call to come and be victorious in your life now that you're a Christian. And again, that's, that's not biblical. It says strive, pursue holiness. You, you better act, in other words. Don't sit back and let God. Yeah, God will keep us. He will hold us fast. But we're not to sit back and let God do all the work of sanctification and do nothing ourselves. It's not even going to happen. Then the Pentecostal view comes along and they said, yes, there's a second work of grace and a crisis and you need to be baptized in the Spirit and speak in tongues. Then, then you'll be holy. You can be a Christian for a time, but you've got to be baptized and speak in tongues to prove that you're saved and be holy. And then more recently, the non-lordship view. Texas seems to be the hotbed for this view. It's uh, that a believer can accept Christ as Savior, but not as Lord. There's no repentance needed. There's no growth in holiness. You can be a Christian and look just like the world. You can be a drug dealer one day, and for the next 10 years, be a drug dealer and be a Christian. And there's no change expected. That's the non-lordship view. Non-lordship. That's not biblical. You know what Jesus said? First words out of his mouth in Mark. Repent and believe. Repent right away. Repent and believe. Not 5, 10, 20 years later, learn what repentance is and start doing it. Carnal Christian in the Bible is somebody that's saved going back into the world and living like the world. It's not like there's two types of Christians, carnal and spiritual. No, no. Repent and believe. John the Baptist said the same thing. The biblical view, what we might call the reform view, but it's really the biblical view, that all Christians at conversion submit to Christ as Lord and Savior. And start growing from that day. And are expected to grow from that day until they go to be with Christ. They might backslide. They might have some carnality in them as they backslide into the world and into sin. And they act upon that and they forget about what God has told us to do. But they will grow. There's ups and downs. But overall you're going to see as you look at the chart and zoom out on their life. It's headed upward. The growth is upward. If somebody zooms in a snapshot on your life and sees you sin today, they don't know. But if you back out and look at the whole picture, they should see a growth in Christ. They should see that. Lastly, and this is a quick overview of the path of holiness. So we've looked at the call. God expects us to do it. He calls us to do it. And then how does it happen? How does it work? Well, it's God working in us, but we are to work it out. We're to do the things that God has told us to do. Well, what does that path look like? What is our part? What are we expected to do? Well, I'm going to give you eight, eight things that you can do. Not to earn God's grace. No. To pursue holiness. To grow in Christ. I asked the Lord that I might grow. Here's eight things you can do. You can do more than this. These are the, the eight, I think, uh, major ones. Number one, now that we're in Christ, we're to be in his word. Be in the scriptures. Be in the scriptures. Read the scriptures, study the scriptures, meditate, pray through the Bible. 
What does that path look like? Well, you, you have sanctified them in truth. Your word is truth. You can't throw the Bible aside and be sanctified. It's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen. But John Bunyan, the, the, another Puritan who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, he wrote in the cover of his Bible, either this book, this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. Either you're going to get into this book and it's going to show you that dirty spot that you have on you and it's going to make you push away from sin and keep away from sin. Or sin in your life will keep you from the Bible. So be in the Word. Secondly, it's not enough to be in the Word, but you need to obey the Word. Be doers of the Word. Obey the Word. Obey is a bad word today. You're only supposed to make your kids obey, and some people say you're not even supposed to do that. Well, God says obey because it's good for us. James 1, verse 22. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. The Christian life is not fill your brain with all the theology of the Bible so that you can let go and let God or so that you can sit back and do nothing. Obey it. Be doers of the word. You've got to to cultivate these things. You're not a Christian one day and then perfectly holy the next. You've got to grow these things and cultivate these things. Fruits of holiness, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The Spirit's in us. And the fruit is there, and we have to cultivate it by obeying the Word. Especially the New Testament, it's why it was given. Thirdly, prayer. So you've read the Scriptures and studied them and interpreted them correctly, and you're seeking to obey them, and you're going to pray to God. You can pray before that. You, You look into the Scriptures, you can pray after that. But you're praying to God to grow you, to help you. You're asking the Lord to grow you, and it might hurt sometimes. And it might be difficult, but he will do it. He's promised to do it. And pray that you can understand the scriptures and pray that you can obey the scriptures and that you want to. Don't wait to feel good about it and then do it. That's such a common error that we make. I just don't feel like reading the Bible. I don't feel like praying today. I don't want to do it. I don't want to be legalistic. You know, I don't want to force myself, so I'll just wait till I feel like it. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. You just do it regularly And God will change your heart through the means of Scripture, through the means of prayer. So pray that He will keep us close to Him. Pray that we'll be in communion and fellowship with Him. Also number four, confess and repent. Confession and repentance. I mentioned 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins. This is not an evangelistic verse. John's talking to believers. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Your body's clean, but you need to wash your feet, Jesus says. You're still sinning, and you need to keep going to God and ask for forgiveness, and He will cleanse us because we're confessing our sins to Him. He already knows you sin. He knows exactly what you did. He knows the attitude you had and desires in your heart. Just confess it to him and repent. Turn away from it. Turn completely away from it. And ask the Lord to help you not do it again. Fifthly, kill the sins of your flesh. You do realize all of these need a sermon on their own, don't they? But I'm giving you the overview. Kill the sins of your flesh. It's done through the things that we've already discussed here. And others. Jesus says if your right eye or your right hand causes you to stumble, tear it out, cut it off. 
It's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. He's not literally saying cut off your arms and legs, but pursue it so much that you're willing to take things out of your life, things that you like, things that please you. Cut it off. Do away with it. Galatians 5.24, Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. Kill the flesh, crucify it. He's not talking about your physical body, but he's talking about those fleshly desires, that old man that tries to come back, that old self. Romans 8.13, For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. If you live according to the fleshly desires and sins, then you're going to die in eternal death. But if by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. That's what it means to kill the sins of your flesh. He says, by the Spirit's power, you're putting to death those deeds. You're doing whatever it takes to not sin. Whatever it takes according to the Bible. John Owen wrote a whole book on this. The Puritan John Owen. It's called the mortification of sin. The putting to death of sin. He said, be killing sin or it'll be killing you. You've got to fight against it. It's not sit back and just see what happens. You've got to fight against it. Number six, seek to worship and fellowship in the church. Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. You're going to do this on your own? It's going to be hard. It's going to be slow. It's not the way God designed it. Paul said, be imitators of me, just as I am also of Christ. Paul says, watch me. Get around other Christians. Watch them. Find somebody that is living holy. Imitate your leaders. Imitate the holy friends and Believers that you know in the church. Worship with them. Fellowship with them. See how they live life. It's one thing to have the Bible and prayer, but you need to look at the examples that God has given us. Number seven, serve in the church. Serve in the church. Serving others makes you more humble. It puts humility and sanctification, which you have to have. Serve others. You'll grow in godliness just through doing that. And then the last one I'll give you is evangelize the lost. Evangelize the lost. It's not one we think of when it comes to sanctification. But it's, it's essential. It's essential. As you evangelize, you're not only telling them what God expects, that all mankind will be holy and follow his commands. That's part of the gospel. But you're also becoming more holy as you do it. You know, Jesus said, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. The very next verse. As you sent me, God, into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Sanctify them, send them out. And then when you proclaim the gospel, you're realizing, wow, I need to live out what I'm, what I'm saying. I, I need to be more holy. What kind of example am I? Don't, don't wait to be perfect to go evangelize. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying, as you're being sanctified and telling others about Christ, you're giving them an example of what that looks like in your life. And so it's almost a feedback loop. You, you're, you're living for Christ and being holy, and you tell others about Christ, and you realize, I want to be more holy. So when I tell others about Christ, they see what that looks like. And then you keep on doing that. So there's some, some ways you can work along the path of holiness. The point is, holiness is vital to the Christian life. You can't cut it out. You can't ignore it. It, it does not mean that we earn our way into heaven. But without it, no man shall see the Lord. You're expected to grow in Christ. It, it's what we should do. It's what we must do. A person who's living a life of habitual ungodliness will not go to heaven because they're not saved. A person who's been saved, though, will pursue holiness. Some will be slower than others. Some will be up and down a little more than others. But they will be pursuing it. It's what God has called us to do, a work that he's doing in us, and he's even given us the path for it as well. I'll close with a, another Puritan quote here. 
a man named Ab Brockel, a Dutch Puritan, said holiness is the most beautiful ornament and the most magnificent beauty which can be found in man. Why is it so beautiful in man? Because it reflects God. It reflects who God is. Be holy, Peter says, as God is holy. Be holy yourselves. Lord, we would ask this morning that you would make us holy. Let us not resist the Holy Spirit working in us. Lord, I pray that you might remind us of Christ's holiness, of his perfection, of how he lived a perfect life, and we ought to live one as well. And Lord, I pray for those today that do not have any holiness in them. I pray for those who have no Holy Spirit in them, and they do not have Christ in them, that you would use this sermon as an example of what God expects of all his creation. You, God, have called us all to be holy, but we can only do that with Jesus Christ our Lord. So show them Christ through the holiness that he lived out, the message he proclaimed, and the calling that we're called to. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.